0: And it's within what some will describe as a very constrained fiscal environment. But, of course, there are some silver linings when it comes to the amount of revenue that SARS has been able to connect, collect. rather, And that, of course, has put the country in a much better position. Professor Andre Roo is an economist at the University of Stellenbosch Business School. Professor Ru, good morning to you and thanks for your time.
1: Good morning, thanks for the invitation.
0: Of course, you understand these things much better than I do. So let's kick it off then, talking about just the general climate uh, you believe that the minister will be delivering the speech under.
1: Yes, I'm not sure whether we always understand things better than anybody else, but <laughs> let's give it a go. Um, I think to answer that question, we have to go back a couple of years. It's still unfortunately fresh in our memory, 2020. Uh, the global epidemic, and as a result of that, a major slowdown in economic growth throughout the world. Mm. I mean, unprecedented numbers. Then last year, a quite a healthy rebound, or so it seems, at least in terms of economic growth, quite, quite impressive numbers, partly because it was simply rebounding from an awfully low base in the previous year, um, but also uh, one of the side effects of that was commodity prices rose. As you alluded to, that meant for us here in South Africa an unexpected windfall uh, from from mining tax revenue of about 160-170 billion rand. And that has given the minister, at least for the next year possibly, a bit more breathing space. Um, It probably means, amongst other things, that we won't see any major upward change in tax rates whether that be corporate tax rates or personal income tax rates or the VAT rate. Um, But the problem is that this windfall happened more through luck than judgment. And chances are that as the economy globally and here slows down this year, which is expected, Mm. then that commodity boom might come to, if not an end, certainly a slowdown. And that brings me to economic conditions this year. So globally, we already see signs, and uh, the estimates of the forecasts are telling us this, that growth this year and next will be lower and slower. Along with that, unfortunately, for the first time in more than a decade, we are seeing clear signs all over the world that inflation rates are rising. Mm-hmm. In some cases, like America and Europe, they were ling- languishing well below 2% inflation rates, now reaching towards 5 or 6 or 7%. And the response to that, we see already, and we're going to see more of this, is rising interest rates, which will in turn also curb to some extent uh, the speed of any recovery. In addition, uh, we note that the recovery, I'm talking talking globally, seems to have two kinds of angles to it. So in those countries where uh, vaccination programs have been comprehensive and efficient, we see faster growth. And in those countries where it hasn't. By the way, some people talk these days about the jabbed versus the jab knots, a new player words of the old haves and have nots. So this recovery last year was, was 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 furious and fast and exhilarating maybe, but also very weird. And the fault lines are probably kicking in. And that wasn't bad enough. Add to that the situation now in Ukraine, with the oil price testing hundred dollars per barrel. And my concern, therefore, is that this year might look good, but this windfall is simply masking some very real underlying problems we have economically, but also fisc- fiscally.
0: So I, I suppose then there the are two questions for me that that come from that context, Professor Roo, because on the one hand, the minister has to respond to the needs of South Africa today and what mm. uh, can be made use of in terms of this windfall that uh, mm. you say mm. was not really planned for, but it's mm. here and we need it and we can put it to good use. But uh, on, on the other hand, then there are these long-term considerations Um, that you have pointed out that he Mm. will also have to keep in mind. So if we talk Mm. about what should then this extra revenue, what should he do Mm. with this additional income (laughs) that we now have?
1: Yeah, I think if you ask 10 people that question, you'll get 11 different answers. (laughs)
0: Probably even more. (laughs) Yes,
1: but in an ideal world, and obviously, when we're talking about budgets and we're talking about ministers anywhere in the world, it, uh, we have to also, as you are quite rightly pointing out, weigh up economic efficiency with political expediency. But certainly, it does give them the breathing space uh, to finance or accommodate what the president announced two weeks ago, and that is another year extension of the of that basic grant, the, the so-called Sassa 350 rand grant. Uh, It would be easier to accommodate that than it would have been without this windfall. Um, But if I had any choice in the matter, I would like to use as much as possible of that windfall to start paying back some of the government debt because that debt has reached, um, I wouldn't say crisis levels, but it is on the fringe of becoming hugely problematic, especially because a fairly large amount of the of the increase in the debt over the last decade has been incurred to pay for what we could call current spending, such as civil servant wages, such as the social grants, such as the interest that has to be paid on that debt. We've reached a point where the interest, where we are borrowing money to partly pay the interest to, that we had to, to pay on the money we borrowed last year to pay the interest on the money we borrowed the year before. So this is becoming a bit of a vicious cycle. So, yes, I would use as much as possible uh, to try to redeem some of that debt. But at the same time, obviously, uh, do as much as possible to take account of what you pointed out, the very real poverty, unemployment, inequality-related concerns that we have. As I said, my concern is if we give too much now, you create an expectation in the future. And the risk is that the future fiscal condition situation might not be as um, as, as easy as it is this year mm.
0: and, and when it comes to this juxtaposition that that you've put out there of economic efficiency you uh, know versus political expediency, we are coming out of a period again where I think you'll be hard pressed to find departments that are not making a case for why it is that their budgets need to be increased. And some of that really speaks to the core services that we need in the country. So we've seen what the impact of the budget cuts to let's say the police department Mm. uh, have Mm. done. We've seen what the budget cuts to uh, education, what those have meant and the different reprioritization of budgets mm. from different departments under COVID nineteen. Mm. Do you mm. think that the minister is going to be able to continue that, you know, that framework of really spending that is declining over a three year period when it comes mm. to the public sector?
1: No, not not from a political point of view. I think what is important though is to remind ourselves from time to time that simply throwing money at a problem doesn't necessarily make the problem go away so you mentioned education which is very close to my heart of course but if you look at our education budget as a proportion of the whole budget as, as a proportion that percentage is one of the highest in the world not many countries allocate such a large proportion of the resources to education uh, as we do uh, which starts you start wondering, well, if you're spending such a lot on education, why are the outcomes so disappointing? So in many cases, it might not just be a matter of spending more money, but perhaps spending what you've got more efficiently, more effectively. Um, and I think also we need to get into a mode of thinking, which tells us that there are no quick fixes to many of our problems, as much as we'd like to think so. The budget itself is not meant to be a blueprint or transforming our economy but it can play a role so if there are no quick fixes added to that I'd like to say let's get the right things right and get them right in the right way let's go back to basics almost now that could mean different things to different people but it's a well-known fact that you need interest, the right kind of infrastructure for an economy to operate more efficiently uh, ideally in terms of what the minister spends Uh, there should be a shift towards more capital spending as opposed to current spending. Let's cut back, as the the president suggested a couple of weeks ago on red tape, make it as easy as possible for businesses, big ones, local ones, international ones, and especially small ones and micro-businesses to do what they could be doing so very well. And still talking about small businesses, the, the president also made the point that government should not be seen as a major employer. And he also then mentioned self-employment is a rapidly growing source of potential job creation. For that to happen, we need to have less red tape. We need to actively encourage, not just play lip service, the importance of entrepreneurship. Make it as easy as possible for a new, small, budding entrepreneur to get his or her business going. Uh, And that ranges from access to seed funding, uh, fair interest rates, as little red tape as possible, as I've already mentioned. Another basic thing that we need to get right, and I think we might be moving in that direction, that's not necessarily the responsibility of the finance minister, but that is restoring the once proud integrity and competence of many of our institutions, uh, such as, I'm not saying that they are suffering, examples of institutions include the public protector, the auditor general, the judiciary, the central bank, uh, the media, etc. Many of them are doing a, a sterling job, but we all know, and the President used the word himself two weeks ago, that state capture has to some extent uh, eroded the, either the integrity and or the competence. That needs to be restored as we're getting, getting the basics right. Mm. And interestingly, just a last quick comment, when we look at how the World Economic Forum, for instance, evaluates how competitive countries are. They look at various categories. Some of them, uh, they associate more with, let's say, I don't mean you say with with poorer countries, but countries at a low level of development. Others are associated with those at a higher level of development. We tend to fare better, and those categories you associate with a higher level of development than, than those that you associate with a lower level of development because we're not getting the basics right.
0: You know, when you talk about all of these other issues that are needed to make government work, you do make the point that ultimately it's not really within, you know, the ambit of of the finance no. minister yes. to ensure yes. that cabinet is being efficient and that, you know, some of the policies that uh, have been decided mm-hmm. on are actually being implemented. So yes. to the extent that these are not things that he can control and he must again be seen to be responding to what the needs of South Africans are, in terms of ultimately what they experience with mm. public agencies are, uh, you know, that's something. Because if, if you, let's say, we take the July unrest, mm. if you have a situation like that where you don't have, uh, you know, police that are responding to, uh, you know, this violence that is threatening the country, mm. and one of the reasons that is given is that we simply don't have enough police people to the population that we have because we don't have the budget, that Mm. takes it directly back to the finance minister.
1: Yes. Of course, one could also dig a bit deeper Mm. and say that the root cause of of what happened last year is, of course, the ongoing poverty, unemployment and even inequality. Um, But you're right. One one can indeed uh, question or think about how the resources need to be allocated. As you pointed out earlier, every single department will be able to put forward an argument in favor of them getting a bigger slice of the cake. So ultimately, the poor man has to make a call. And uh, it might have been Shakespeare who said, you can please some of the people all the time, all the people some of the time, but you certainly cannot please all the people all the time. Mm-hmm. But Dave, and, and if you bear in mind, there are so many different almost stakeholders in the country and they will all have different kinds of expectations or hopes almost so the international investment community they'll be hoping that the minister will trim the budget deficit reduce the government debt making sure the lights stay on they will probably also be looking forward to or hoping for uh the rationalization of state-owned enterprises they're looking for policy consistency small businesses on the other hand will be more concerned about, I mentioned earlier, slashing red tape, even hoping for tax breaks, relaxing labor legislation. Organized labor, they will be looking for job creation, higher minimum wages. The disadvantaged, the poor in South Africa, will be hoping for more government spending on, for instance, social grants, a lowering of the back rate, more spending on health and education, lower uh, local middle-income consumers, would be more concerned about lower personal income tax rates, no more load shedding. They want to see a visible end of corruption. They would like to see a more stable round. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's so many different kinds of expectations from different stakeholders. And somewhere amongst all of this, uh, the government and the minister has to, as I say, make a call amidst limited resources. Our tax base is, a, is fairly narrow. And some people might argue it's getting even narrower mm. as a result of the poor performance of the economy. You know, as it is, we have almost twice as many uh, social grant beneficiaries uh, yeah, beneficiaries uh, or recipients than a number of taxpayers. Uh, so obviously, one would like to see a far more extensive social grant system, maybe even a basic income grant. But that's, that has to be weighed up against the reality of, I say, limited tax base.
0: Right. So, sorry for coming in there, Professor Roo. Mm, uh, no I'll problem. give you I'll give you a chance to uh, continue. Mm. I'll also take a couple of calls on this uh, conversation. Professor Andre Rue is an economist at the University of Stellenbosch's Business School. It's 10.30 and Musa has your headlines.
1: Let's have the conversation. WhatsApp voice notes on 0614 104 107
0: we continue the conversation on the talking point we've been looking ahead to the budget speech by finance minister inokodongwana later today Uh, we're in conversation with professor andre ru who is with the uh, university of stellenbosch's business school let me go to pastor duma you're calling us from durban pastor duma good morning hello (laughs) hello pastor duma All right, it looks like we've lost uh, Pastor Duma on the line there. Sorry, Uh, we'd kept him waiting for some time. So, Professor Rue, let me then just uh, come to you to be able to wrap up our conversation. We've talked about what uh, should be in the budget. Maybe let me ask you as we close off, what 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 should the finance minister not say in his budget today? That's
1: an interesting one. Well... I hope he doesn't say that we are entering good times and, and that this year or, or, or the, 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 the good things that happened last year are going to continue. I hope he warns everybody, in a nice way, that tough, tough times still lie ahead. I hope he doesn't create the impression that this budget speech will represent a quick fix for all our problems, and rather point out that you know it's kind of an elastic band, really. And there are fundamental things we need to sort out. I hope he doesn't. And when I say this, it's not because I don't have any sympathy or empathy, but I hope he doesn't announce uh, a basic income grant this year. As much as one would probably like to see it sometime in the future, we simply cannot right now afford it. I'm, I'm sorry to say that.
0: Mm, okay. I hope,
1: and I hope, uh, I hope he does say something about the national health insurance and how the progress being made there. That's another potentially big consumer of resources.
0: All right. Uh, professor Rue. before I let you go, Pastor Duma, I'm just going to take him uh, as the only caller for now because he's been mm-hmm. holding for the longest time. Now. Pastor you Duma, good morning. The Hi, good morning, see Kathy. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Go for it.
1: I'm fine, thank you. Um, uh, professor Andre Roo, Um yes. my question is, because you are a professor, you will know a little bit better than me. I'm trying to get my head around what happened to our country, to the um, the lending houses of the world, where we were declared a uh, state that is in a junk m- mode or junk status, but they gave us money. How is that possible as a professor, if you can break it down and make me understand, because if you are in a junk state, it's like that somebody that is is, is uh, has got no money at all, but the bank still gives me money. How mm. is that possible? We were declared. That we are insolvent as a country we are in the junk status but the world bank or the imf gave us money how is that possible no. i'll listen on the air uh, professor all right well first of all i don't think that's necessary because i'm the professor i can answer the question but um we must bear in mind that when the, the credit rating agencies and there are, there are lots of them but three of them in particular stand out moody standard and pause and pitch when they pass judgment on, in this case, our government debt. It's only the government debt, not the country as a whole. They're not saying that the country is in serious trouble necessarily, but they are passing judgment on the quality and the, uh, the credibility and the creditworthiness of government debt. They pass judgment by stating, uh, after having looked at many, many variables, that in their opinion, we talk about junk bond, they would think carefully before mm-hmm. buying government bonds. They would think twice. They're not saying don't buy they're just saying it's not as safe a bet as it might have been previously that said uh whoever wants to lend us money and it's, and it's very rarely the world bank and i in uh, we don't owe much money to them at all in fact when we look at our foreign debt only a tiny portion and only in, in recent times as we borrowed from the world bank prior to one or two fairly recent uh, borrowings we had paid off our last debt to the world bank back in 1982 so most of the money we borrow is from international institutions, financial institutions all over the world. And by the way, let me go back a step. When we talk about government debt, most of that is actually borrowed within South Africa, just as an added point. But talking about the money we borrow internationally, we being the government, those bor- uh, those lenders, they, they take note, obviously, of the credit rating agencies, but they also take note of the fact they use their long memories to realize once again that since time immemorial, that's pushing it a bit, but going back many, many decades, this country's government, past and present, has never, ever defaulted on its international debt. We have never failed to make our repayments on time. We have never failed to make our interest payments. So that sticks in their memories. We are a good borrower. Secondly, the returns we offer on this debt are very attractive, Interest rates of seven, eight, nine percent. If people lend money to the government by buying government bonds, very few countries can make that kind of offering. In some countries, the returns on government debt are zero percent. So, so the combination of having a good reputation, through thick and thin, and often good returns, still uh, uh, prompts foreigners to lend us money. That's that's a quick answer. I could give you a much longer answer. But I think the, the, the crux of the story is the credit rating agencies are evaluating the quality of government debt, and they are simply passing—they're uh, simply making a not a recommendation even, just sort of making a suggestion, just passing judgment in a certain sense.
0: All right. Professor Ru, let me thank you for your time this morning and we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll wait and see what happens then Good. later this afternoon. I'm sure there will be plenty uh, to talk about in the next 24 hours. Indeed. Thank All right. You. Professor Andre Rue there, he is an economist at the University of Stellenbosch's Business School.